Our first scripture reading this morning is from the 55th chapter of Isaiah, beginning on page 644 in the Old Testament of your Pew Bible. An invitation to abundant life. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me. Listen, so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. See, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. See, you shall call nations that you do not know, and nations that do not know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found, Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that he may have mercy on them and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word.
Thank you, Tyler. Luke 13, first nine verses, our gospel lesson this morning. At that very time, there were some present who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Jesus asked them, Do you think because these Galileans suffered in this way that they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No. I tell you, unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? The gardener replied, Sir, let alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, then you can cut it down. This is the gospel of the Lord. Join your hearts in prayer with me. Help us, O Lord, to understand the time in which we live. A time, perhaps, of a second chance, of a new opportunity, of a gift that you give us each and every morning to approach this day as a day that you have made, so we may be able to rejoice and be glad in it. To the glory of Christ our Lord. Amen. Do you think they were worse sinners because calamity fell upon them? It is an act of self-protection to deflect bad things that happen to the source of evil in order to separate ourselves from that same fate. In the north countryside of Judea, there were rebels who were constantly dogging the Roman colonialists. It was low-level guerrilla warfare where gangs would attempt to ambush Roman soldiers on a regular basis, occasionally winning small skirmishes against the occupying force of the Romans. They never actually gained any traction, but they were an imperialist's nightmare. Every few weeks, Pilate, the territorial governor, would receive word that a handful of legionnaires had been jumped and a few of them had been killed, Galileans taking casualties of one or two soldiers at a time. Sometimes the news came with a report that the attackers were already in custody and facing justice through Roman power. Other times they had slipped quickly into the night and just dissolved into the regular population of Galilee. But in every instance, the report would come back to headquarters and Pilate would have to come up with some way to express vengeance to be able to prove that they would not be intimidated by local opposition. It wasn't like that in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, the Romans had already struck an agreement with the local authorities. Uh, They were granted local autonomy in exchange for compliance with Roman order. This way, any attempt at rebellion would be completely squashed long before it rose up into action. 
a huge group of informants and sycophants and toadies would be reporting to the Romans even the slightest mumblings of resistance and the Roman authorities then could take action long before it turned into a violent attack. But the region of Galilee was different. Local governance was not centralized like it was in Jerusalem. Allegiances were far less predictable, so Pilate's methods had to be more brutal, more primitive, because guerrilla bands could disappear into the night and have safety of their protectors in the region. Any attack by the Romans needed to be public and brutal and indiscriminate. If control couldn't be orderly, then it needed to be terrorized. There's scant reference in the historical records to this particular story in Luke 13, but there are lots of parallel stories through the historians that talked about this is the way Romans maintained control. Galileans came to sacrifice in Jerusalem, and as they went forward to present their offerings in the temple, guards, disguised as other worshipers, threw off their cloaks and brutally slaughtered the Galileans their own blood being mingled with the blood of their offerings there on the temple steps. One more act, violent terror, would get these rebellious Galileans under control and perhaps they would give up on their resistance, seeing that their actions resulted in the slaughter of innocents. This seems far from us, a reference of obscurity in a distant, more brutal, more primitive time It's not the kind of seemingly random violence that we want to hear about and retribution for somebody else's actions. Those were times of bad people doing bad things, too bad for them. Thankfully, it could never happen in our modern world. Uh, They must have done something to deserve such a fate. That's the distance we create for ourselves. Is it true? The news comes to Jesus perhaps as a warning. Don't get too political. Look what happened to innocent Galileans. By the way, Jesus, where are you from? Oh, Galilee? Watch yourself. Be careful. The Romans are in power. But Jesus then turns the discussion away from the politically mundane to an average, everyday, accidental occurrence. Such insurrections, they take gambles. So if people get involved in political espionage, then they're going to face the consequences of what they chose. Brutal plans can create brutal death. If they hadn't plotted against the Romans and the authorities, none of this would have happened in the first place. But what about, Jesus says, construction workers who are working on a water tower as part of an aqueduct system there in Siloam? The scaffolding fell. That we actually have historic record. The scaffolding fell and in Dozens upon dozens of workers were immediately crushed in the aftermath. Uh, Are these workers going to explain away their victimization? How did they get what they deserved? Our brains are little thinking machines, little justification connectors. This happened, so this must have happened, and it was caused by that over there. From the moment that we no longer find peekaboo entertaining... (laughs) And we realize that, no, the face is just behind a towel. Come on, think about it. As soon as our brains can do that, the cause and effect begins to fall into place. We're no longer surprised. We're no longer hooked. We are confident that we know what causes what. 
When bad things happen to ordinary people, our brains begin to calculate the risk, right? Plotting a scenario that exempts us from the possibility of similar suffering. It insulates us from the odds that we too might meet tragedy and have their experience. And so we emphasize the differences, the stupidity of their choices. In a desperate calculation to protect us from imagining that their fate could be our fate. It's what our brains do. It allows us to sleep at night, to leave the house in the morning, to go on about our business undistracted from how bad things could be or are for others. Those are killed in war, those are killed in crime, those are killed in accidents. They're different from we are, right? We're smarter. We're more careful. We always stop before turning right on a red light. We are more secure. And to imagine otherwise is to allow ourselves the fear of curling into a little ball and whimpering under the covers for the remainder of our days. Bad things happen to normal people. Am I a normal people? Or can I keep myself from bad things? Frankly, it takes a strong dose of denial to get through the day. And so we're a little shocked by Jesus' words. Do you think they were greater sinners? No. Unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Ah! There is the trick. We should repent. And if we repent, then God will protect us from bad things. And that's not absolutely true at all. Jesus is not giving us an off-ramp from tragedy. Jesus is saying, here is the off-ramp from truly understanding when tragedy happens. Don't be lumped in with those others as if they were dumber than you. No matter how the charismatic televangelist will tell you otherwise, or the political pundits will ask you to believe, that's not what Jesus is saying. We can't protect ourselves from random injury, from that sudden tragedy. We are not insulated by either joining the right political party and ideology, nor offering the appropriate religious prayer. We're not better than those who suffer. We are their kin, living on exactly the same borrowed time. One of the things that makes Russia's invasion of Ukraine so unsettling is how difficult it is for us to construct walls of distance thick enough from keeping our little brains, our little calculating machines from sharing in the same anxiety. You can read it in the commentaries. They suggest that the Ukrainians kind of had it coming. They should not have pursued Western-leaning democracy while living next door to a well-armed narcissistic sociopath. What were they thinking? Somehow at the end of the day, it's probably their fault. And in those words, (laughs) we have an out. We're pretty confident that we can pursue our democracy without fear of an invasion by those violent Canadians. 
or those upstart Mexicans. So we can desire what we want in safety. Uh, unfortunately, they could not desire what they wanted because they did not live in the same safe world as we do. Very different from them. It's their own fault. They should have been born in another part of the world. Those Ukrainians are those Galileans. They committed their own demise. That's not what Jesus is suggesting, a path through peace, through repentance or better thinking. Jesus is reminding us that we all live on borrowed time. Not to make us paranoid, but to make us connected. We are with one another in suffering. And so when we have peace, we should be all the more grateful. When Jesus says, unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. He's not saying that repentance insulates us from suffering. Jesus is saying repentance rescues us from the absurdity of suffering. Our suffering does not become pointless. It becomes shared. A shared perspective that all of the seemingly random experiences of pain and disappointment and calamity and isolation and sorrow it is the humanity of the phrase, there but for the grace of God go I. It's a chaplain working with the paralyzed, with the paraplegic, with the quadriplegic. The sacred, that's the, the scarred and the maimed. My brain worked overtime to draw some ironclad line between their suffering and my circumstance. Sometimes it was easy. I'm confident that I will never be shot in the back having held up a liquor store. I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'll never have my legs mangled as a result of driving drunk at 85 miles an hour on a rural dirt road. I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen to me. I'm pretty confident that I'm not going to break my neck cliff diving in Mexico. Okay? So these poor sots of suffering in the Rehabilitation Institute, they are not me. Their outcomes are things that they did that I would never do. I'm safe, except, except sometimes there was absolutely no distance. There was Ahmed, a guy about my age, driving home from work to his family who was rear-ended by a truck, snapping his spine mid-back. His future was always going to involve a wheelchair, no doubt. As his chaplain, I was supposed to bring to him comfort and peace and perspective and acceptance, except whenever I met, Ahmed was always smiling, joking with the nurse's aides, chatting with the house staff. He'd show me the little cards that his daughter had drawn in crayon for him while he was in the hospital and in recovery. He'd tell me stories about growing up in Iran and then moving to Chicago and working at his father's used car lot. It was my job as chaplain to push back the curtain of obvious denial and help him cope with the struggles that were before him in his life ahead. Except on the outside, there is no difference in the appearance of denial 
or acceptance. Denial and acceptance look exactly the same. It's merely whether they have gone through the full journey. Assuming that Ahmed's gregarious nature, that is, his ease with his disability and with the people around him, was some sort of cover for deep inner turmoil, I started asking him probing questions about how he really felt. Till one afternoon, Ahmed stopped me and said, Preacher, I know what you're doing. I understand. But with all due respect, you just don't get it. I look around at the other patients each suffering in their own way. Many of them are worse off than am I. Some of them are better off, but they're all asking, why me? And that very question is compounding their suffering. So I've decided to live my days asking the question, why not me? I'm no better than they are. God should not grant me extra compassion because I'm a good person. I'm here. Where else can I go? If I'm not having a good day, I have to start with this day and figure out how to make it good because I have no other. This is my time. This is my story. I can resist it and be miserable or embrace it. And that's my choice. Jesus told a parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. Came looking for fruit and found none. He said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have been coming here looking for fruit in this fig tree, and I have found none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting soil? The gardener said, Sir, let it alone one more year. I can dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, then you can cut it down. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that he may have mercy upon them. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, says the Lord's. For as the heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Amen. Amen. With confidence in God's grace, let us stand and speak the affirmation of our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. (laughs) 